1: Trojan fans, welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Thursday. We had a really popular USC football podcast last week with Gerard Martinez talking all about the USC Trojans and the 2022-2023 recruiting class and the recruiting efforts with Lincoln Riley. And we got G-Mart live back. Follow him on Twitter at G-Mart Live. Gerard Martinez is back on there. It was our most downloaded show since we moved to a new platform on Megaphone. Um, so it was very popular and I think... This one will be as well. Gerard, no one knows the recruiting scene better than Gerard Martinez. We're going to pick his brain with a huge recruiting weekend coming up uh, before the early signing period, which is uh, six days away. We're recording this on Thursday. It is Wednesday, December 15th. One big official visit weekend and visit weekend before that. And then all the signings and stuff will come in. We'll see where USC's class ends up. If you have any questions or comments for the show, podcast at uscfootball.com. Or you can call or text us at 424 424 Two five four nine one four one, and if you have the Apple Podcasting app on your phone, please follow us on the Parasol Podcast and leave a five star rating and review. All right, well, let's bring in Gerard. What's up, man? How are you doing?
0: I'm doing well. Uh, again, you know, sleep—not a whole lot of it, but <laughs> tons of news with recruiting. Uh, it's a very fluid situation right now. With uh, really just a, a week left here uh, before the early signing period, less than a week actually now that we're at Thursday, and next Wednesday is going to be the early signing period. So December 15th is the light at the end of the tunnel for the early signees of the 2022 class. We're going to see who decides they're going to sign. Maybe some kids that waver on it, just with all of the coaching changes and everything going on. Uh, there have been a handful of prospects who've decided they want to wait to the February signing period. So we're going to see if uh, any guys get a little cold feet, not necessarily sure, or if the momentum of some of these late visits actually get them to sign December 15th, which I think 91% of the last class signed early. And obviously being a COVID year and they're not being official visits, that makes a lot of sense. But even the year before when they did have official visits, it was something like 85%. So, a lot of these kids are signing at the early signing period.
1: Yeah, a lot of it. And uh, the good news is there's been some rumblings and talk about moving that. Bob Bulbsley, the uh, the Big 12 commissioner, had talked about that, too. Moving the, you know, getting rid of or moving the early signing period. So hopefully, cross your fingers that that's going to go away. But like Gerard said, 91% of the the players sign, and that's why this mad scramble of the coaching carousel is happening now. USC positioned itself pretty well, getting Lincoln Riley, who already recruits Southern California well. We talked about that before. Uh, we're gonna jump into the big recruiting weekend and uh, some where this class stands right now. But to let you know first of all, um, if you want to get VIP membership to uscfootball.com, the best place for inside information on what's going on with USC's football team, with the recruiting aspect, all of that, uh, you can go out right now for one dollar. You get your first month for a buck. That'll take you through the early signing period and a lot of other stuff with Lincoln Riley trying to fill out his staff. So try it out there. You also can get 30% off if you want to sign up for a year. We appreciate that. And we've had a lot, a lot, a lot of new people signing up, people that were with us before. So we appreciate you coming along board. And uh, definitely, if you're a USC fan, no better place to to get your football information and recruiting information. So make sure you go check that out. And also want to thank uh, Trader Joe's have been a great sponsor. I got a little um picked up some of the advent calendars um that are great there they're 99 cents uh make sure you get them next year i think they sell out fairly early but i uh, gave some to some of my staff gerard i gotta get you one um and those are cool but check out the fearless flyer the holiday one is out there's a couple of things right up the top you should check out jingle jangle uh 9.99 it's a tin full of cool holiday candies very festive looking if you're gonna have people over just put it out there. They got, got great color in there. Great, great snacks. That's an awesome one. But this is a really cool one. Hot cocoa ornaments. They look like regular ornaments, but you drop them in some hot milk or uh, beverage like that, and it'll turn into hot chocolate. And out come, will come marshmallows and chocolate chips and all kinds of cool stuff. So really cool things in the Fearless Flyer uh, for the holiday version of that. So if you're, you're, like, you're doing your holiday shopping, uh, make sure you get over to Trader Joe's. They've been great to us. Uh, do you have a favorite uh, Trader Joe's thing, Gerard?
0: Um, you know, I used to love the trail mix. Oh the, yeah, uh, the little trail mixes. Some of them had little peanut butter chips in them. Sometimes you get the those white chocolate. Good, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but you know, that's a that's a little bit of a guilty pleasure. You know, I can't can't eat those too much because there's there's a good amount of calories in those suckers. Yeah.
1: All right. Well, we let's jump into stuff. Um, before, we'll get to the recruiting weekend and. Gerard has an update thread that's very long at this point of what's for the official visits and unofficial visits that are guys that are coming in uh, this weekend. Um, The class we talked about last week sort of got pared down a little bit. Some of the, you know, the, the commitments, the prospects that were committed to the previous staff are no longer. uh, So several of them no longer committed. I think there was a new one over the week, Gerard, if you want to kind of talk about that. So it's sort of, tearing this class down to the studs and the only new addition uh was raylick brown the the five-star running back from uh modern day so i expect that to change probably this weekend and stuff but maybe kind of give fans an update of the class which is i think ranked at 100 or something like it's it's not ranked very high right now even with the five-star commit
0: yeah it's actually ranked right now 101 nationally and number 12 in the Pac 12 and so dead last in the Pac 12 with four commits So four commits with less than a week to go to the early signing period. Uh, We're on the edge of the edge here. We are definitely uh, tempting fate in terms of uh, what the actual ranking will end up being for the 2022 class after early signing day. Because, like I said, there are a couple of kids, maybe a handful of kids, that are pretty good prospects, four-star prospects. Got a guy like Josh Connerly, four-star offensive tackle from Seattle, Washington, who is going to sign in February that USC will continue to recruit. He's not going to take his official visit until January. So you do have some big fish that sound like they're going to stick around after early signing period, take some visits, and so you're still going to have some interest as to how this class looks after February. But for the early signing period, which is going to be the majority of the class, this is really where you kind of have that starting point. Like you said, Relique Brown, five-star running back, Uh, out of modern-day high school, he is going to come into USC and play uh, slot and running back. So he's not just a pure running back. He's about 5'8", 185, 190 pounds, uh, explosive athlete, a guy that a lot of people, you know, they want to compare to Anthony Thomas. Uh, They want to compare Reggie Bush. Um, Don't know if he really compares – exactly with those two players uh those two players in and of themselves as running backs were different players you know d'anthony thomas was definitely a different type of running back than reggie bush and i think those two players are a bit different than raleigh brown i think with raleigh brown you're looking uh more more of a guy that's you know you're going to use in the slot and you're going to have as a receiver and you're also going to use a lot in motion um you're going to try to use him in space but Something that's interesting about him when you watch him play modern day this past year, modern day uses him very much as a downhill runner, which is sort of something you would question about him with his size. Um, he is diminutive, but he is not necessarily small. He does have a low center of gravity. He does break tackles well for a smaller running back. And the fact that he kind of squares his shoulders and he gets in between the tackles for modern day is a good sign for him at the college level when he does run the ball. So I think he's a player that's a bit of a hybrid player, a bit of a tweener, you could say, uh, as a receiver and a running back, but a guy that you know certainly is a marquee-type player in this class that USC was not going to get. And USC haven't had for a while uh, a player that's going to touch the ball quite a bit and can be a gravitational point of your offense. You know, you can sort of build around him to some extent, and it's definitely a wrinkle with a player that like that that you're not going to see uh, every week. And I think that's important to USC's offense and Lincoln Riley's offense now, is that, you know, that's always something that in college, especially because you've only got 20 hours to prepare, when you can insert a player that you have to sort of scheme around a bit, that's really tough. It's just like going against a wing T, some type of odd option offense, something that an offense does and only that team does it. You know, it really kind of takes you out of your mode of like, okay, this week we've got to prepare specifically for this player and what they do with this player. And I think Raleigh Brown allows USC to do that. So this is a big commitment for USC. Is it sort of a momentum builder? I think probably not as much as the two 2023, excuse me, uh, commitments that they got uh, specifically with five-star quarterback Malik Nelson, uh, Malachi Nelson and Makai Lemon. Those two uh, I think are, are, are sort of going to build a lot of momentum in the 2023 class. And as we spoke of before, I think with Malachi Nelson being a quarterback and being really a ringleader of sorts and, and, and a leader and a, a sort of a cornerstone of the 2023 class, I think he also is helping with the 2022 class. He's that big of a name. And I think just the way that he carries himself, I think he really helps USC uh, beyond just his own class. Um, So that's, you know, obviously big news for USC. I think Makai Lemon had not commit uh, when we talked on the podcast the last time, it was just uh, Malachi Nelson. So, you know, that's, one that we knew was coming as well. You know, we knew those guys were sort of a package deal, and so USC gets both those five stars early in the 2023 class. I think they've got three commits, and they're ranked like uh, seventh or eighth nationally in the 2023 class already. So yeah. you can see, you know, their rating obviously is that high. That with that little amount of commits, it still uh, ranks them pretty high. So with the 2022 class, still 101. Um, you've got Fabian Ross, who I understand is is going to be a part of the class. USC went. Evaluated him uh, last week, and they also had their in home with Zion Branch, who's his teammate, and Cyrus Moss, who's also his teammate at Bishop Gorman. And so all three of those players are due to officially visit USC this week. And uh, it sounds like, you know, Fabian Ross, who's a cornerback, but definitely one of those players that can play in the box as well, uh, maybe as a nickel safety. He's uh, very good in space, and a very, very good open tackler. Uh, in, in the open field. He's got uh, tremendous agility, but he's very physical. Uh, he's not the biggest cornerback. He's only six foot, 185 pounds. So he's not like a big cornerback that you say, okay, probably going to be safety. It's really just his mentality and the way he plays. You say he could get up into the box, he could play over the slot and play near the line of scrimmage and still be a very good open field tackler and a guy that can, you know, give you a little bit in the run support game. So, uh, he's uh, a nice addition to the class that they're keeping. Um, it sounds like, uh, Devin Tompkins, who we weren't really sure about, this was one of the later offers that Dante Williams staff gave. So it seemed like maybe, um, Lincoln Riley was going to get away from that, those offers and, and those kids that were being targeted. But with uh, Devon Tompkins, it sounds like he's going to be on an unofficial visit to USC this weekend. And as of right now, it looks like he's going to be a part of the class, 6'6", 220 pounds, um, really a basketball player first and just recently kind of took up football and became known as a, a football prospect. Um, so he's kind of that edge rusher, similar to Cyrus Moss. Um, certainly not as accomplished as a football player, uh, but, uh, a guy that, you know, one of those rush and hybrid types that maybe you can put more weight on and he puts his hand on the ground. It's just uh, kind of wait and see in high school plays for Stockton Edison. So he's actually close with Raleigh Brown, who used to play at Stockton Edison as well before he came down to Southern California, and transferred to modern day. So they're friends. And, uh, he's a guy that at the high school level does put his hand on the ground and does play as a, a seven technique. And so he's kind of a straightforward pass rusher in high school. Um, we'll see how they use him in Alex Grinch's defense, which is a bit more hybrid defense. And finally, you have Atticus uh, Bertramas. I, I don't even know how to really pronounce his last name. Bertramas. You haven't
1: you gotten to see him play, Gerard? I have
0: not gotten to see him play. I've not gotten to... Why would that I've not be? been able to track him down to get him on the phone to talk to him, mate. Um, he is from Australia. Oh, uh, okay.
1: Of, that that yeah, would make pro sense. Pro-kick
0: yeah. Australia semi-pro, uh, another guy that comes from down under, uh, you know, college football and the NFL really love those uh, those Aussie kickers. And so, unfortunately, you know, Atticus is not a guy that I've been able to uh, get on the phone and, and, and talk to. Uh, but from what I hear from sources, it sounds like USC um, is going to keep him a part of the class like he's still going to be a part of the class uh that's one that's a tough one to to know what's happening with that recruitment really i mean he's a sean schneider guy obviously and we don't know what's going to happen with sean schneider uh in the coaching staff you know if he's going to be a part of the new coaching staff or or not uh but um you know whoever they have as a special teams coach Uh, has to evaluate Atticus. And uh, it just might be one of those things where they know they need a kicker and they're just going to go with it. Uh, So right now, you know, those are the four commits uh, in the 2022 class, which is, uh, again, rated uh, right now, dead last in the Pac-12, 101 in uh, the nation. And we expect that's probably going to jump up quite a bit. Uh, Certainly, hopefully for Trojan fans, it's going to jump up quite a bit.
1: Yeah, I was, uh, you know, after there were three straight days of five-star commitments and it sort of slowed down. So I'm uh, curious to see what happens this weekend. I think there's going to be a bump. And then of course, si- the signing period and, and the staff seems to be coming together. We don't have like official announcements, but we did see, I think uh, um, Brian Odom, the uh, he was the Oklahoma inside linebackers coach. He's out there. He's out recruiting. I think he was at Chaminade or something with a uh, USC like sweatshirt on. Um, so it seems like there's like a mix of Riley guys from Oklahoma that are on the staff or announced or going to be soon and USC's current like recruiting staff. So it seems like that's what is going on right now. And that's, that's who's going to be hosting these uh, prospects this weekend, I would assume.
0: Yeah. I mean, they're going to have still a little bit of a makeshift staff. It's it's not going to be a full staff. And I think, you know, the two positions that have not been filled, which are kind of handicapping USC's recruiting efforts to some extent, are interior defensive line, you know, defensive tackles, uh, defensive line coach, which uh, they had a, a former Sooner uh, on the, uh, the, the Oklahoma staff that actually is not being retained by Venables, but doesn't sound like he's coming to USC. I mean, is we that, haven't uh, heard Calvin, anything.
1: Calvin Thibodeau? Is that who you're talking about?
0: Yes. Yeah. Correct. So he's, yeah, he's actually
1: Pete Thamel tweeted like while we were recording that he's probably going to it, that he's going to be the new defensive line coach at SMU. So okay. he'd been in yeah. Oklahoma since 2016, but yeah, he was a name we didn't hear was coming with Lincoln Riley, but it looks like he's probably going to go to SMU now, at least according to Thamel. He's he's been good about breaking some of the stuff.
0: And obviously, offensive line coach. So we were hearing early last week. That it sounded like offensive line coach and co-coordinator for Oklahoma, uh, Bill Bindibo, Bindibo. I'm not I, sure how to pronounce I think Bindibaw, his last name.
1: I believe, but yeah.
0: Bindibo. Yeah, that's what it is. It doesn't look like it would be that, but that's I guess how he pronounces it. I'm hearing it sounds like he's going to stay at Oklahoma. Uh, I don't know if that's been officially announced, but he has been recently, just in the last few days, popped up on some recruiting visits with Oklahoma, and I think. He was ready to leave, and I think Lincoln Riley thought he was going to be a part of the USC staff. But I think Venables came in, and even though they didn't have an office coordinator in place, we talked about this last week if they brought in Jeff Levy, who has some familiarity with some of those old Oklahoma players and old Oklahoma coaches, because uh, I think Bendy Ba, BD Ba, Booty Ba, whatever his <laughs> name <laughs> it's not going to be at USC, I don't think. Uh, he's been there since uh, 2012, 2011, I believe. So he was actually a Bob Stoops hire. Yeah. And that was just a guy that Lincoln Riley, uh, kept on staff. And so, it, you know, it, it, he, his wife lives like 15 minutes away from campus. I heard, you know, he just, he's not an LA guy, yada, yada, yada. I'm like, Hey, you know, that was Ed Ergeron and a Miami guy or an LA guy before he left the Bayou. No, I mean, you know, that doesn't really matter so much It's it's really about, you know, what staff does he want to be a part of? and I think he's familiar with Levy. We'll see how that goes. Levy was the Ole Miss offensive coordinator under Lane Kiffin and uh, always skeptical of offensive coordinators that are under head coaches that were former offensive coordinators and head coaches that have a lot of say in the offense. You know, we see that a lot where it's good that they're mentored by a guy that's got a good offensive mind and, and, a, and a a productive offensive system, but then you wonder how much were they actually doing as a coordinator in that system when you know Lane Kiffin has complete control over his offense. I mean, that's just the way Lane runs. We saw that at USC. He's been like that in other places. Uh, Lane runs the office. So we'll see how Levy does at Oklahoma being the guy. Uh, But, um, you know, the offensive line coach is not coming. It doesn't sound like, uh, unless there's some change here uh, where, you know, it sort of comes back the other way. Uh, So offensive line is, is obviously a big deal. And USC had, Uh, A big official visit lined up with Devon Campbell, five-star offensive lineman from Arlington, Texas, Bowie High School. And it sounds like he's not going to officially visit USC any longer. And I think that sort of is connected with uh, USC just not having an offensive line coach on campus. I I think maybe that was the the deal breaker there. Uh, He was supposedly going to officially visit Georgia. Seems like that visit's been canceled um, you know, there's always a potential he pops up at USC. Like I said before, it's a very fluid situation. Um, you've had visits that have been set, you know, within 24 hours of the kid's been on campus. And so when you've got a new coaching staff and it's like, hey, you want to visit USC? And kids are like, hey, I like USC, and I like, you know, the former OU staff and the guys that are there. So that's uh, sort of synergistic, you know. I mean, uh, you get a guy like Marvin Jones, Jr., who's a defensive end, five-star out of Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I mean, literally he's a guy that I think Jamar Kane had uh, a really good relationship when he was at Oklahoma. Kane gets the job at USC, makes a call, in-home visit, whatever it was. Says, hey, you know, you want to come down to USC this weekend? Kid takes a, not a, a weekend visit, but, but actually a midweek visit. I think he's just leaving for home today. And, uh, you know, that's, that's it's like boom, boom. You know, that's how quickly it can happen at this point. And that's how quickly it has to happen because you literally got signing day less than a week. So coaches are are not wasting any time and they're getting these kids in on official visits. Um, but, yeah, that's the two positions, uh, the, the, the defensive line, interior defensive line, because Jamar Kane is going to be a defensive ends, outside linebacker coach, and, uh, and the offensive line are the two positions that are kind of um, handicapping the recruiting efforts. But USC did hire Dave Nickel, who's uh, an inside receivers coach from Mississippi State, um, has some familiarity with uh, Lincoln Riley's offense, and uh, they've got Demis Simmons there, who's going to be the outside uh, receivers coach and probably associated head coach. Um, he was a passing game coordinator also with Oklahoma, so there's that title. That's that's you know sort of there. Uh, Brian Odom, as you said before, just got on the campus this week and has just started to get out and recruit for USC. That's a big one, I think, uh, with recruiting David Bailey specifically, You know, having somebody in in, in front of him. Now they've got Jamar Cain and they've got – Brian Odom, so they can talk to David Bailey about his fit in the defense, the uh, 6'3", 220-pound linebacker from Modern Day, who uh, it sounds like he's going to officially visit USC Sunday. We'll talk about that in a little bit. You know, you've got Alex Grinch, so You've got the defensive coordinator there. Uh, he's been working on the safeties. That's why it looks like they have uh, a really good shot of getting Zion Branch committed now. Um, there's a plan there for him. And uh, I think, you know, he's always liked USC, but now USC has these coaches there that uh, – there's a possibility of winning championships now there's more development there there's something there to show for from a resume standpoint and i think with his brother who is a big time 2023 recruit in zachariah branch as a receiver i think mean, he really liked the oklahoma office i don't think zion was huge on oklahoma uh as a school uh he was much m- f- much more fond of usc and it was ohio state but his brother really liked oklahoma for the offense so now again it's talk about synergy, it's sort of these things coming together where you've got the coaches, you've got the offense, and then you've got the location and the education and everything that USC offers kind of combined into one. And so uh, that's that's something to look on the horizon. I think you'll see Zion Branch and Zach- uh, Zachariah probably commit very close to each other, if not on the same day. And I think USC is in a very, very good position for both of those players now. Uh, USC also went and got uh, the offensive line coach from Tulsa, Zach Hansen. Uh, now, Zach is coming into USC to be a tight ends coach. He's not going to be the offensive line coach, but he did coach offensive line at uh, Tulsa, and he has some experience at K-State being a tight ends coach as well. Now, his wife, Annie Hanson, was a uh, director of recruiting strategy at Oklahoma, and she was seen at USC during the small recruiting get, uh, dinner get-together slash meet-and-greet last Sunday. And, uh, so she's probably going to be part of the USC staff as well. We're not really sure to what capacity she might have the same title. She might have a different title, uh, but she looks like she's going to be in route as well for USC. So some support staff, uh, hires maybe in the works as well.
1: All right. Um, so I, if you, uh, if you're a VIP member, go over to uscfootball.com. Gerard's got a great thread about this vis- official visit weekend. Um, if you're not, like I said, you could sign up for a buck. So no excuses there. But one of the names that stood out to me, I mean, you have it broken down by when their guys are coming in. Some of the the modern day guys are coming in Sunday because they're gonna be playing on Saturday. Um, you know, having like Sunday official visitors, you know, like Rayleigh Brown, uh, who we talked about already, he's gonna be there. Uh, but there's a couple of former commits, you know, Damani Jackson, um, who's with, you know, look down down to USC and uh Alabama now the five-star cornerback from modern day. He's going to come in on Sunday, but, uh, Mikel Williams, who was that, that kind of random five-star defensive end from Georgia that was committed to USC for a while and decommitted a while back, um, was big news, uh, when he, uh, got in there. But the fact that USC is getting him on an official visit, seems like that's a pretty good, pretty good move.
0: Yeah. If they can secure it, because I think that one is a bit up in the air. Uh, he is committed to Georgia. So he was committed to USC over the summer And I think it was October when he decommit from USC. And then a few days later, maybe it was like a week later, he committed to Georgia. And Georgia's really pushing hard to have him not take that official visit. They want him to be on campus at Georgia. Uh, There's been some talk that he will unofficially visit Georgia this weekend instead. Uh, That tells me that Georgia just wants to keep an eye on him. And so his dad says He's not going to officially visit USC. That's sort of been the latest coming through uh, our Georgia site. Um, but I've heard that there's still a chance that he ends up on campus at USC. Uh, I haven't gotten any confirmation on that today. Hopefully can get some confirmation on what's happening uh, when we get the war room up for Friday morning. But uh, that one's a little sort of up in the air a bit. Um It sounded like it was a done deal earlier uh, in the week, actually kind of like later last week. USC did have an in-home visit with him. Uh, They did have Alex Grinch, and they did have Lincoln Riley come in home, and that was sort of off the heels of that. It sounded like he was going to take his second official visit to USC. He he scheduled a second official visit to USC uh, before he actually decommit, and he said he still wanted to take that visit after he commit. To, to Georgia, it became less and less likely just because USC's season was just spiraling down the toilet. Uh, that you know they would hire anybody that he would be interested in, but obviously things change uh, when Lincoln Riley comes to town, and you've got you know a proven winner and a guy that uh, certainly has uh, shown that he can turn the program around, and he's done this before, uh, or at least. I don't want to say turned the program around before because he really hadn't done that at Oklahoma. He really sort of put them into a championship gear uh, that they had not had before consistently. Uh, Bob Stoops was a guy that got to a lot of bowl games, and, but there was sort of a little bit of a, a, a flat line there for a while. And I think Lincoln Riley, when they brought him in as offensive coordinator, got them going again, and then he just took it over. Um, so the rebuild, you know, and we talked about this, I think, in the last style podcast that's something that he hasn't necessarily done. And that's going to be the big question for him in terms of just rebuilding the roster and the culture. Um, I don't know to say from the ground up, but certainly you've got to get real down into the foundation of this thing. And I think I made the analogy, you know, with this job, this coach is going to have to bring uh, a jackhammer and a shovel to work and not just hammer and nails. Um, you're going to have to, uh, deconstruct it to some extent and get rid of the entitlement and some of the bad habits and some of uh, the, the things that we've seen from the players. And again, the culture that just sort of permeated with uh, Clay Helton, I think it's got to be wiped clean to some extent. So we'll see how Lincoln Riley is able to take on that job um, as opposed to just kind of keep something rolling and keep it going and, you know, take it from, you know, very good to great. Uh, This is going to be a little different job. Um, So we're going to see how that kind of goes.
1: Yeah, we got to you got to you mentioned the transfer portal. We got to watch that, right? So I think since we talked, um, you know, there's been some walk ons that are in the portal. But Jacob Lichtenstein, uh, he he went in the portal. Hunter Eccles this week, uh, and also Chase Williams. Um, so you know, we know, and we also know Drake London won't be coming back. Uh, Katie Nixon was out of eligibility. He tweeted out some stuff, but uh, we've seen you know three defensive players that you know, have experienced, have been starters um, are going to be gone. So, yeah, I, I'm, that's probably going to go. There's probably going to be more, obviously, but uh, transfer portal is going to be something to watch, but probably after, you know, after the early signing period, then it's probably going to heat up.
0: Well, to some extent, I, I think the USC is going to bring in some of these transfers uh, this weekend. I think they want to get on it early. I think they feel like, you know, it, it's all happening here. It feels very last minute, but technically, if you're looking at the other coaching hires and everything that has gone on, USC is still kind of ahead of the curve a bit, right? They they fired Clay Halton early in the season. They hire their guy before everybody else does. LSU, Florida, actually, I think, hired Napier uh, before USC hired Lincoln. Um, and then you've obviously got Oregon, which is sort of in disarray right now trying to get a coach before the early signing period because Mario Cristobal goes to Miami. So now Miami's in that sort of scramble mode to try to get some guys on campus to try to put together a class before the early signing period. So I think USC wants to take advantage of that to some extent uh, from a transfer standpoint. And and I really think that's a great strategy because from what we see with transfers, usually these guys take one, maybe two visits, and then they make a decision. They don't usually go through the five-visit process. And so I think getting out there and getting that early visit is probably a smart thing to do. And I think they're going to bring in a couple guys this weekend. Uh, one who we hear is going to come in is going to be Bobby Haskins. Now, Bobby Haskins is a grad uh, transfer from Virginia. He's a six-seven, two 295-pound offensive tackle. I know everybody loves to hear that because every time we talk about a recruiting update – The post and the peristyle are, can he play offensive line? And he, this particular player can play offensive line. He's uh, from Princeton, New Jersey. He was a three-star offensive tackle, actually rated as a tight end out of high school and committed to Virginia in the 2017 class. So he's a guy that uh, evidently USC is going to bring in uh, on a visit. And uh, I think uh, another potential uh, transfer visit that they may get from is Dayan Diane. I'm not 100% sure how to pronounce his name, uh, Henley. Um, Dane Henley from Nevada, who is uh, another guy that uh, I think is a, a grad transfer. I'm not 100% sure if he's a grad transfer. I know he was a senior, and I think he's got one more year of eligibility uh, because of the COVID year. And uh, he's a 6'2", 225-pound linebacker, originally from Los Angeles. He went to Crenshaw High School. He played quarterback, and he played wide receiver, and he actually signed as a wide receiver a two-star out of high school. And so he went to Nevada and developed, and they eventually said, you know what, we're going to put you out as a linebacker. You know, you put on some weight, and we think you, you can play there. And obviously, haven't played quarterback. receiver is very athletic. And so he has recently been offered a scholarship from USC. And I could see them trying to bring him in quickly and kind of getting that done and, and just sewing that up and getting him a part of the class. So uh, those are two players that come to mind. Um, Austin Stogner, tied in from Oklahoma, still out there. Uh, Theo Weiss is still out there, uh, the uh, wide receiver from Oklahoma that transferred out. Um, Caleb Williams, everybody talks about, still at Oklahoma, has not entered the transfer porthole yet. And uh, we'll see how that goes with Jeff Levy and, you know, that new staff that they have at Oklahoma trying to convince him to stay at Oklahoma because Oklahoma is a really, really big doo-doo. If they do not have him, they're going to have to go to the transfer porthole as well. And they're probably going to have to go to the transfer porthole for quarterbacks anyways. And that makes it sort of, you know, dicey. It's, it's, it's tough because you want to go out there and you want to get some, some good players, but your guy that's on the roster, that's the starter, you know, maybe feels a little threatened by you getting more quarterbacks out of the portal. And, and if he's there, it's maybe tough to get good quarterbacks out of the portal. It's it's really a catch-22 here when it comes to the quarterback position because there's only one quarterback that's going to play at a time. So if you've got a starter there, it's hard to get good players um, to come in unless, you know, they're just that confident and they feel like they can they can overthrow them. But you're talking about a former five-star player, um It's just going to be difficult to get quality players. And if you do bring quality players in, then how does your starter feel? We talked about this. If Caleb Williams ends up leaving Oklahoma and he goes to USC, well, what is that going to do with Miller Moss and Jackson Dart? He was the former starter at Oklahoma that's now transferred to USC with his old ball coach. They're probably going to feel – uh, probably a little awkward about that, and feel like he's got the inside angle on getting that starting job. And you're probably going to see transfers from both of those. So it, it'd be a you know a, a sort of a one coming in, two going out. And USC's not in the position, uh, quarterback depth wise, that they can lose um, those quarterbacks. So it's very complicated when we look at all this. Uh, not as complicated other positions. Other positions. USC's just got to get good transfers. Period. An offensive line is definitely one of them. So we'll see what happens with Bobby Haskins.
1: All right. Uh, let's see what else. As far as players coming in, um, there's a group from uh, Las Vegas. Um, any like as far of the guys that are coming in? Is there anyone you think USC fans should watch out for that they could potentially um, commit over the weekend?
0: Well, I think you know the other interesting group. I mean, you've got the Bishop Gorman kids, right? So you, we've talked about Fabian Ross, who's Already committed in the class. We talked about Zion Branch, who I think USC has a very good shot at, and Cyrus Moss, who I think USC has a great at, shot at now because he was really leaning towards uh, Oregon. And, you know, we don't know what's going to happen with Oregon and who the coach is going to be. Um, it sounds like Brian McClendon, who was the interim head coach, is also going to Miami. With uh, Mario Cristobal, and he killed USC at recruit, uh, receiver recruiting the last two cycles. I mean, he just killed USC, especially considering, and we talked about this before Oregon really doesn't use their receivers all that well. So, you know, some of this is also looking at the transfer portal with Oregon and what happens with that staff and what direction they go. You know, did they bring in Chip Kelly? You they bring in somebody else like Justin Wilcox. You know, what are all those players? That USC was beat out for by Oregon, what are they going to do? You know, people have already brought up Justin Flo, um, Troy Franklin, the receiver out of uh, Northern California, who USC tried to get and ended up not being in the top four, which was kind of the first really big red flag about USC receiver recruiting at that point, that USC wasn't even making the top four for a guy that supposedly his mom really liked USC, this, that, and the other. So those players, you know, might end up in the portal and that's going to be something that usc is going to keep an eye on uh but i think you know the bishop gorman guys you've got the modern day guys who as we understand it are going to officially visit uh sunday for basically a 24-hour type of official visit their game is at eight o'clock saturday night they play uh san mateo uh sarah high school for the state championship game and so from that game, they're going to go on that official visit. And from what we understand, it's going to be that big four of Damani Jackson, David Bailey, C.J. Williams, and uh, Raleigh Brown. And so we'll see, make sure, you know, nothing changes or what have you. But that's sort of the plan we hear right now. And so that's big. You also have a group from St. Francis in Baltimore uh, that potentially could be coming in. So you have Derek Moore, who uh, we've confirmed is going to officially visit USC this weekend. He's a six four, two 265-pound defensive end that was committed to Oklahoma. Again, another Jamar Kane guy. Jamar Kane hit the ground running as a recruiter for USC, uh, and he's been known for being a very good recruiter. Uh, he, he had uh, a couple commits there at Oklahoma that were good players, and Derek Moore was one of those guys. And so it was almost immediately after uh, it was announced that he was going to be leaving Oklahoma and joining the USC staff, Derek Moore, uh, it broke that he was going to officially visit USC. Um, there's also, um, and I'm remembering at the top of my head, Jay Sean, uh, Braham braham who is a 6'3", 230-pound linebacker, four-star uh, out of uh, St. Francis as well who could end up officially visiting USC. Uh, I believe he officially visited Oklahoma and he's another guy that has a relationship with Jamar Kane. and so there's a possibility he may be coming and officially visiting USC. We haven't gotten confirmation of that yet but it's a possibility. They also offered Andre Wo- uh, Roy a big offensive tackle, uh, a three-star out of St. Francis High School who is currently committed to Penn State. So I could see You know, that's one of those, like, USC trying to make a move for maybe all three guys and bringing them all this weekend. The only guy that really confirmed is going to officially visit for sure is Derek Moore, but it stands to reason that uh, they would try to bring in Sean and Andre uh, Roy as well if they could. Um, You're not going to offer a kid a scholarship in the 2022 class uh, and not try to get him on campus um, ASAP. Uh, USC also, just uh, on that note, Offered a scholarship to Garrison Madden, who's a 6'2, 200 pound uh, linebacker out of uh, Dutchtown High School in Georgia. And this is, you know, three star guy, really not a bunch of big time offers. Kind of a track guy, though. Uh, he, you've watched his huddle film. He's got tracks there. Uh, that's pretty impressive. Very fast player, very good looking player, actually, on film. A guy that uh, Brian Odom is recruiting for USC now. And so uh, there's a good possibility that they try to get him on campus. Uh, That would be sort of a last-minute type deal uh, for the linebacker position. Um, But uh, kind of a guy that seems like he – maybe fell through the cracks a little bit, uh, but uh, a player that just offered a scholarship. So certainly, you know, not 100% sure he's going to be uh, early signee. I mean, literally was just offered like a few hours ago. So we're trying to catch up on, you know, his background and sort of what he wants to do recruiting-wise. But again, you know, if uh, he's going to be an early signee, USC is going to definitely try to bring him in this weekend.
1: A little breaking news while this was going on. Uh, Raymond Scott has entered the transfer portal.
0: Um, yeah, that's a tough one. That's probably actually I, that I thought we actually had that already. Um, Scott is definitely, I think a player that hey, in this Oklahoma defense, uh, that, that Alex Grinch ran, which is going to be the USC defense. I mean, I think he's, he's, he's a player. I mean, he's a talented guy. Uh, I think he didn't get quite as much run as he needed to. There was sort of, uh, really it was a 2020 season where he got in there and he played really well in spots. And in this season, it just seemed like they uh, they used them here and they used them there, but uh, the consistency, uh, the rotation of those linebackers, it was kind of um, hit and miss, you know, I think between he and Goforth, Um But he's a guy that I think, um, you know, I think he could still play at USC. Uh, of the guys that have transferred, or I should say, are in the porthole, not transferred out yet, um, I think he's one of those guys that uh, USC w- would be wise to try to keep.
1: You think, yeah, I mean... It doesn't. Once you go in the portal, it doesn't mean it's over, right? Like, you could still Correct. Yeah,
0: yeah. You can always come back. Um, and it might be just one of those things where, you know, if they evaluate him and they want him to come back because that's some of this. You know, I think they've evaluated some players and there's some guys that they don't think can play for them. Uh, but if you know, you sit down and say, okay, you know, these guys we like, um, they really haven't had a chance to sit down with a lot of these guys and meet with them yet. You know, I mean, and Brian Odom was not there earlier in the week on campus, uh, from what I'm told. Um, I don't even know if he's actually really been on, I'm sure he's been on campus by this, by this point. Um, but yeah, some of these guys are just, you know, it it's, you got to understand, you know, got to have some, um uh, some, some empathy for the coaching staff that's just like literally landed in LA, got to campus, you know, they threw some sweatshirts at them and some shirts and said, okay, back on the road with you. Um, you know, they literally probably have spent, uh, you know, hours on campus. And then uh, it's back on the road trying to recruit, trying to get in-home visits. And, again, trying to secure some official visits for this weekend for guys who want to be early signees. Uh,
1: one last thing before we jump into some questions, Gerard, unless you had anything else. But as far as, like, the, the, the USC's biggest competition – for recruiting Southern California top talent has been Oregon. Now, there's been, you know, Alabama's and Ohio State's, and people have come into Southern California and taken guys away. But consistently, it's been the Ducks. Mario Cristobal's gone. You mentioned some of the staff, you know, following him there to Miami. Are there current Duck commits that USC can flip before the early signing period or before February?
0: You know, obviously the big name – is tetra and I, I always i'm confident of how i Let's pronounce that we everybody calls him t-mac i mean literally it's just t-mac so you never really hear his name very much uh mcmillan who uh, is committed to oregon and usc has been trying and trying and trying to get him to officially visit this weekend and he just seems completely set on oregon for whatever reason um you know obviously people were saying hey Going to lose their offensive coordinator. Uh, You know, is that going to change things with T Mac? Didn't change things with T Mac. They're going to you lose their their head coach, Mark Cristobal. That's got to change things with T Mac. Didn't really change things with T Mac. Then they're going to lose Brian McClendon, the actual receivers coach, who recruited him to Oregon. Still seems like it's not really changing anything for him. And I think you know USC is going to keep trying. And they're going to, you know, try to call him and say, "Hey, man, anything change? Anything change?" And this is one of those things that can happen. Eleventh hour, and you could just say, "You know what? I'm going to go down USC. Why not?" You know, I mean, that's uh, why. Why not make that an option in case I have second doubts about Oregon in the direction of that football program up there? Because you don't know who they're going to hire. I mean, obviously, behind the scenes, people at Oregon are saying, "Hey, man, we're going to get a great coach, right?" But you know, maybe it's not somebody that fits you. Now, Chip Kelly is not the greatest recruiter in the world. Um, He's sort of see, you've seen how Chip Kelly really wants to recruit at UCLA. Without the supplement of Nike and how much involvement Nike has in the Oregon program, you kind of see just Chip Kelly as a recruiter and how his staff recruits. And it's very unique. It's not like any other staff. They they sort of ignore certain aspects of the recruiting process. And quite frankly, you know, this early signing period, just not having a lot of official visits at all. I mean, I I, I don't know – I don't know how many official visits UCLA has had this cycle, but it's not been a lot. And it just seems like they're really more focused on transfers and, and trying to recruit transfers. And so they want to leave you know, as much room on the roster as they can for visits for transfers and possibly you know, room for getting transfers. And so it's definitely uh, kind of an extreme situation there, but we'll see if Chip Kelly sticks around. And uh, what that staff ends up looking like. The reports Um, right
1: now, like John Canzano is reporting that, and it looks like there's a a Nike plane that's flying to LA right now, like as we're talking, like that they're going after Chip Kelly, which is crazy.
0: Yeah. So, you know, pretty mediocre at UCLA, Uh, surprisingly so. You thought that that was going to be a mega hire for UCLA, and that was going to be, uh, you know, pretty big time. The boosters uh, really got behind that hire. And it just hasn't really happened. But he's a commodity to Oregon. Uh, Oregon feels like, hey, you know what? We did it with him up here before. We were very successful. And we could put people around him like we did, um, you know, the first time. Of course, obviously, he got in trouble for recruiting the first time. He got a show cause. Um, but, you know, that's that's the, that's maybe the, the strategy and the thought. Uh, he does not have a great recruiting class at UCLA. And the fact is, I don't think a lot of the local players in Southern California liked him. Now, is that true of T-Mac? I don't know. But that's obviously potentially a polarizing uh, hire for Oregon to some extent from a recruiting standpoint. And so, um, you know, again, 11th hour, it could be Friday morning. It could be Friday afternoon. And all of a sudden, hey, guess what? T-Mac, he's on campus. It's an unofficial visit, and it turns into an official visit. We really don't know. It's it, that's where we're at, sort of, with the official visits this weekend. It's crazy. It's again unprecedented. You know, you don't have a team that is currently rated 101 nationally recruiting, and then potentially could make their way into like you know a top 20. Top 15. I don't think they're going to be top 10. You'd have to get probably 14, 15 of these guys, and I just don't think you're lining up enough of these guys on official visits at this point to, to have a class that's going to have 15 high school kids. Um, yeah. That's just a projection right now. So I don't think you're going to get into that top 10. Um, you'd be lucky. I think like you know top 20 to top 15 would be still pretty, pretty insane, pretty miraculous, um, even considering where USC was you know, just from a, you know, full class of where, you know, you keep Clay Helton and what that, what that class looks like, I think it's still going to be a pretty bad class. You know, let's say Clay Helton wins eight games. They somehow win seven, eight games, uh, which I think they probably would have been closer to if they would have kept him hired. I think they would have won, you know, two or three more of those games um, that they didn't win. Even, even though they were blown out, I think there's some games there that were on the table that they would win. They beat Cal, they beat some other teams there. Um, But you know that recruiting class was still going to be very, very mediocre. It, it would have been in the fifties or forties uh probably, and so I mean you're still looking at that, and that's what you want to compare with you know what they have and and, and obviously it's quality over quantity at this point. It's not going to be twenty guys twenty five guys um, It's going to be a smaller group, but it's you know how how much how much of that class is going to be able to contribute. How many of those guys are going to be able to contribute right away as well is going to be a big factor in addition to the transfers. Now, a little plug here for our boys and girls at home. 24-7 has just come out with a new feature where you actually have uh, different rankings for the class with high school players and transfers combined. So an overall ranking, which I think is going to become the new – standard for what your class really is at the end of the day. And it's not going to be after signing day. It's going to be closer to fall camp where we actually say, okay, this is what USC did this cycle recruiting because transfers are becoming such a huge part of recruiting and and just what your roster looks like from year to year. That is going to become, I think the new standard to, okay, what did the, what did the staff actually bring in this past year? So we're always used to, you know, I mean, we were used to for years. You know, after February, okay, how, how, what are we looking like? What's the roster going to look like next year? February we're going to be like, well, this is what it looks like to some extent. <laughs> this is a, this is half. We're about halfway there. <laughs> Especially, I think, with with this particular situation, where I think you're going to get a lot of transfers. Um, and people keep bringing up the number, like, what's the number going to be? You know, you can bring in seven. You can do this. Listen, there's black magic here when it comes to getting certain loopholes and and blue shirts and gray shirts. And this guy counted towards the last class because he was an early enrollee and he doesn't count towards this class. There's a lot of stuff to get that number up higher. And we see that all the time with the SEC where they have these, you know, 30 numbers and it's like, how do they get 30? They're not supposed to have more than 25. It's just you can sort of move around initial counters and things like that. And with with transfers, that's true as well. Um, Just depending on when they get in and what semester they're a part of, this, that, and the other, um, that calendar year of the, for the transfers is actually, I think, into like April. I believe it starts in April, whereas sort of that's the new uh, year for recruiting now because you have those spring visits. So it's a really interesting thing. You're thinking, okay, what do the, the transfers look like for this year? Well, truth of the matter is some of these transfers are not going to officially visit USC until next spring. So, it's going to be April, it's going to be May, it's going to be June, where you're going to see some of these players actually being on campus, which we didn't see last year because of COVID. You know, they didn't have any official visits opened up until June. So, this next year, we're going to have official visits in April again, and so you're know, you going to have those guys that are also still a part of this class that we're talking about right now, and that's going to impact the roster for next year. So when I say you know, February, we're going to know maybe, maybe what half the roster looks like. I'm not being facetious. I, I mean that literally. It could be just about half the roster, 60% of the roster, and then the rest of the roster is still transfers coming in uh, that are officially visiting with guys that are going to be the 2023 class which will be next cycle. So, yeah, there's going to be a little bit of uh, confusion yeah. here and stuff, and we'll, we'll, just, we'll help you uh, figure that out and, and clear that up as we go. But that's going to be such of a big deal where you're going to be later into the spring and in the summer where you're still going to see USC pursuing some of these guys that are transfers and, and potentially losing players to the transfer portal at yeah. that point.
1: All right, well, stay tuned for all that. Let's take a quick break, and we'll come back and answer some questions and get out of here. Back in a minute. All right, we're back here on the Parastyle Podcast. Uh, we got a voicemail from our buddy Curtis Gerard. I uh, wanted to play for you. It's, it has to do with the staff and recruiting, so I wanted to play and uh, get your thoughts. Hey, Ryan. Curtis
0: from Moreno Valley. I got concerned when I saw a four-star defensive back committed to USC just decommitted last week. That probably was a Dante Williams recruit. I'm also concerned that he hasn't named Lincoln Riley hasn't named Dante Williams the DB coach for next year. That would be so simple to do. I think it may have something to do with that associate head coach title that the administration gave him last year and the pay raise. Because uh, it's so easy to name him the DB coach for next year. Why hasn't it happened yet? I'm worried about Dante. Why would you let the number one recruiter in the nation leave Curtis from Moreno Valley? I don't think it's looking great for Dante Williams to be retained on the staff, mainly because at this point from everything we've heard, Roy Manning is going to be the cornerback's coach. He's been the one recruiting Damani Jackson. He's been involved with the defensive backs that USC's been after. And as a safeties coach, Alex Grinch has only always had that position on the past staff that he's been a part of. So that goes back to Washington State. He's been the defensive coordinator and the safeties coach. So you kinda wonder from a position standpoint where Dante Williams would be. Now we have a little war room tidbit that's coming up uh that's about his contract and sort of the finances involved with that. Um That makes it a little more interesting. But in terms of the positions and what we've seen filled, it's kind of hard to figure out where Dante Williams would end up on the coaching staff right now. So we're going to watch that. Obviously, there has not been any official announcement either way, which is kind of interesting. You know, As you said, you would think that if he was going to be a part of the staff, that would be announced. Um, But you would also think maybe at this point, if he wasn't going to be a part of the staff and they knew that definitively maybe it wouldn't be announced I or it would be announced. I know that he's talked about with uh, some recruits that he would like to try to parlay his interim head coach position into a head coach position at some other school. And the Nevada job has popped up. Uh, Fresno State was on the table a bit. Sounds like Jeff Tedford is going to be there at Fresno State. But there's always a possibility that maybe someone comes in and wants to throw a defensive coordinator title at him we're just going to see what happens and um, how that shakes out with maybe other opportunities that he may look at uh, in addition to what he has at USC and what's available at USC for him
1: uh, all right well thanks for Curtis for that and thank you Gerard um, we have a few emails to get to as well um, first one up uh, John Labrea wanted to know Who's going to be Lincoln Riley's Sean Cody recruit, like the Pete Carroll had, the the guy that sort of turned everything around?
0: That's a great question. Greg Biggins and I both talked about this a bit, and the truth of the matter, the guy that's really that guy is in the 2023 class. We talked about that early. Uh, It's Malachi Nelson. That's the guy that that really is sort of that centerpiece of sorts, that cornerstone uh, to a class that really helps bring in a lot of other players. Um, I don't know if there's that one guy in this class because it's different. You know, that that original class with Pete Carroll was a lot of just names, and he didn't do what Lincoln Riley's decided to do. They didn't get to the point where it's like, okay, we're going to wipe the class almost completely clean and start over. Uh, they kind of just built upon the class that was already there and plugged in some players later in January. And Sean Cody was really one of the only big-time players that they had that they plugged into that class. A lot of the rest of the class are guys that you just don't really even remember playing at USC. So this is different where, again, it's it's quality over quantity, and they're not bringing in a whole bunch of players. Obviously, Raleigh Brown is is a big-time player for them and a guy that you know a lot of people sort of turn their heads about. But I don't know if he would really be – the Sean Cody of the class. Uh, I I think that there's going to be a few really good players in this class. I think maybe if anything, they're able to bring in those four players from modern day. That in itself is sort of a Sean Cody monumental recruiting statement, because you're bringing in four guys that were literally going to all different schools just a week ago. You know, CJ Williams is going to Notre Dame, David Bailey, was going to Stanford to Jackson looked like he was going to go to Alabama and Raleigh Brown was going to Oklahoma. And now potentially you can have at the number one high school football program in Southern California this year, St. John Bosco people don't be mad just this year. Okay. Um, <laughs> that they could all end up at USC and that in itself, um, you know, all the silly monikers you throw out there, you know, take back the West, blah, 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 whatever you want to say. That's, a statement getting a core group from the number one team possibly in the nation to commit to you when you weren't going to get any of those guys and now you're getting all of them and not only getting all of them but keeping them from going to all different schools some of those schools being your rivals
1: we got one from john in oakland he says why is Lincoln Riley taking so long to announce key position coaches particularly the offensive and defensive lines the assistant coaches we've talked about this a little bit already these two position groups are in horrible recruiting shape at the moment well to be fair everything's in horrible <laughs> recruiting shape um they're being uh, and it's being delayed by player uh, depleted by player departures it doesn't seem like he's making improvement approving in the line play a priority we all think that it should be uh that's John in
0: Oakland well, we talked, like you said, a little bit about the co-coordinator position uh, on the offensive line and what I think the plan was, and now, you know, that coach is going to stay at Oklahoma. Um, defensive interior, I, I think, was a similar position where they knew that Thibodeau was probably not going to come to USC and he was going to stay at Oklahoma. I think the the set of mind there was... Okay, let's go ahead and move forward with somebody else and try to get a different name at that position. Um, we talked about Joe Salvea being a potential guy uh, for that position, just because he had that uh, that familiarity with the defense because he was at Washington State with Alex Grinch, and that was, you know, that was really what made Alex Grinch a, a superstar was that defense that he had up there with Mike Leach at Washington State. Everybody was used to. Those type of offenses in general, and that's a true air raid offense uh, that they had at Washington State, just giving up all kinds of points. It's basically an offense where, it's, you know, the team is just trying to outscore the other team, and and your best defense is your offense. But Grinch actually was one of the only defensive coordinators that had come in and kind of devised a way uh, from not just a, a scheme standpoint, but also a personnel standpoint of being able to have a good defense, even though your offense is running up and down the field. And scoring points and being you know very quick about it, uh, a lot of shifting, a lot of movement up front, mm-hmm. smaller players, you know, a lot of guys that are two forty five and two sixty that are playing on the interior and trying to use quickness to be able to to beat blocks. And so it's a very aggressive front uh, from a defensive line standpoint. But it's different, it's unique, and you have to get a defensive line coach who's familiar with that and comfortable with that. And obviously at USC, you're going to recruit at a much higher level in terms of the personnel you can put there, uh, size, strength-wise, than you're going to at Washington State. The biggest question is really, does that become sort of a Graham-Harrell type of system at USC, where it's a marginalized system, or should I say it's a system built on marginalized personnel, sort of like the air raid offense is, where you're, you're using space, you're using the field to try to dictate matchups, rather than a lot of one-on-ones and, and just sort of – lining up and saying, okay, I know my guy is better than your guy, and we're just going to beat you one-on-one. So, you know, that defense, he was with um, Ohio State as a co-coordinator with uh, Shiano, and then after a year, went to Oklahoma and uh, has been taking on, you know, that sort of task of trying to get the Oklahoma defense to play as well as Oklahoma offense has uh, over the years. And, you know, I'll be honest with you, I think that he did a actually pretty good job at Oklahoma. Um, certainly this year, there's a, there's some games there where they, I don't think they win those games against like Iowa state. Um, if they don't have that defense, it was the defense that was making clutch plays to actually keep them in the game. So a lot of people say, oh, you know, that's not a great defense, this, that, and the other. I don't know overall defense where they're ranked, uh, this past year, the Oklahoma defense, but I don't think it was that low. I, I think the last time I checked at the end of the season, it was like 30 or 40s. And, um, that's not bad. You know, especially when, again, you've got an offense that is going to score a bunch of points. So we're going to see how that goes. Um, Again, you know, that you kind of have the biggest question of whether, you know, it's the type of players you plug into it and whether it works. Uh, You're getting, you tend to get little undersized players uh, on the defensive line um, more than you're getting, you know, the big 330-pound defensive tackles. Now, that doesn't necessarily bode badly for USC because USC's struggle to get a lot of those big 330 pound type guys, you know, the Jay Toya's and uh, the likes of that, that are those actual real nose tackles that take over that zero technique and just, you know, maul the, uh, the interior of the offensive line, they're big, big body catchers is really what they are. Um, You get those guys down in the South and occasionally they'll come through Texas. uh, But you don't get a lot of those guys on the West coast. You get more athletic six, four, six, five, you know, maybe 275, 280 pound types, and they're one-gap guys that are really good pass rushers getting upfield. Um, Leonard Williams-type guys, even though Leonard Williams, they got him from Florida. He's originally from Southern California. Um, you know, even Sean Cody, who, who was a defensive end more at USC and then built himself later on into being a defensive tackle. I mean, everybody forgets that he was a five-star defensive end at Los Altos. He wasn't an interior guy. So potentially, you know, Alex Grinch's defense might actually work personnel-wise uh, better at USC than a lot of other schools just because you are going to get some guys that are going to be that 250 pound range that you've got to build up and they're not necessarily going to be 300 pounds coming out of the box at high school. So, yeah. um, I don't, I you know as far as the question goes, it is is Lincoln Riley neglecting? I, I just think the plan sort of played out where they thought they would have an offensive line coach and it was going to be the guy coming from Oklahoma. That's no longer the case. So that's, you know, they've got to pivot and find somebody else. I think the fact that, that's a co-coordinator job as well. They could attract a very good off line coach. And then defensive line, again, they weren't going to get Thibodeau from Oklahoma. So they were already probably focused on trying to get somebody else, but that's not a guy that's coming with them from Oklahoma. So you do have to go through that process of interviewing people and Grinch has to feel comfortable with uh, a guy that, that knows his system. And again, that's why Joe Salvea comes up is because he being at Oregon right now, I don't know. seems like a West coast guy. Uh, very, very respected uh, in the Polynesian community, of course. Um, that that would seem like a a, a nice little addition there um, in terms of what he would bring to the recruiting process. And I think you know Oregon's defensive line has played pretty well. Um, they've 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 had some guys that have played well. Uh, you know everybody's going to say Cam Don and some of these other players, but I think even on the interior they've done uh, more with less uh, in, in certain games. And so um, again, familiar with that system that Grinch runs and, uh, and the one you know position we haven't talked about is running back position. You know, that's another position that they're not going to bring to Marco Murray from Oklahoma, the running back position, you know, do you use that co-coordinator for the running back position instead and bring in a big time running back coach? I know for a fact that there are some very, very good running back coaches that are interested in this job. They like Lincoln Riley. They like what he does offensively and they see, uh, you know, a potential title associated hit coach or a co-coordinator title uh, being very, very attractive uh, at USC. So there's definitely some good candidates there. I mean, I don't expect, you know, Lincoln's cousin or his brother or or his dad's friend or somebody <laughs> to get one of those jobs. I, I think they're going to go get somebody that's uh, going to be a, 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 a very minimal of a very good recruiter. Yeah.
1: Um, Andy in Calgary, we kind of talked about this a little bit, but maybe just give like a number where you think he said, I know you mentioned before uh, USC's 2022 recruiting class was ranked nationally uh, when Lincoln Riley was hired. Where do you think they're going to finish? Yeah, I mean, it seems like 15-ish or so, I would guess, but I don't know. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I would say I'm feeling like right around 20. I, I have to crunch the numbers for who they have visiting and let's say they just hit it out of the park and they get a majority of those guys that we think are officially visiting, at least. You know, it's one of those things where, you know, you've got T-Max sitting there. You've got, uh, like I said, uh, Jason Bram, um, who's, you know, uh, from St. Francis. The, two, the other St. Francis kids uh, could be coming in with Derek Moore. Um, that's, a, I think, a three-star and a four-star recruit. Um, Javante Barnes sounds like he's going to visit Miami. That's a bit of a swing and a miss for USC because I know they really wanted to get him hooked in with Raleigh Brown. If he's going to visit Miami, then I think USC's kind of out of it. Um yeah, we I I'd have to kind of crunch the numbers on that, but I'm thinking 20 ish, 18, something like that. I think if they get you know 15, 14, and that that's that's the like I said, a minor miracle, yeah. Um, in this class, but I I think you know they they could get around 20. Uh, I I think is a is a, a safe, um, but still somewhat optimistic projection. Yeah.
1: Uh, we got a few more. We'll go through them quick. Jackson from New Jersey says. Uh, I'm sorry, Jack from New Jersey. Maybe Devin Brown was a little hasty with his decommitment. What are the chances he comes back, and would he be on Riley's radar? And ditto for Damani Jackson.
0: I don't think so. I think he's hooked in with uh, Ohio State. The question is, do they go after a 2022 quarterback? You know, and we talked a little bit about uh, Malik Murphy, and um, you know, Texas was fooling around with Devin Brown, and they wanted Devin Brown. And it sounded like they were like, ah, you know, Malik Murphy, OK, you know, if he comes to. Uh, but now, you know, they've <laughs> they had to circle the wagons a bit. And I saw them doing an in-home visit with uh, Malik Murphy. And I think Texas is, you know, they have to sort of be in on Malik Murphy now. I thought maybe USC might flirt around a little bit with some players like that. Maybe Justin Martin uh, at Inglewood as well. Um, just for a depth standpoint. I, I mean, you got to have some scholarship quarterbacks. On the roster, you want to have some guys uh, for your scout team, uh, younger guys that uh, are, are decent players that that can give your first team defense a look. And as we talked about at the top, with Caleb Williams potentially still being there, you know what kind of waves that would cause if he decided to transfer to USC. Um, you know, is it actually worth it for USC if you lose Miller Moss and uh, Jackson Dart right off the bat if he comes in? You know, that, that those are all questions that come to mind. So um, there's still, you know, like I said, a, a lot of questions when it comes to, to all these things, you know, certain moves like that with the portal, how that ends up impacting um, the class. And, and again, you know, we have to, again, talk about the class and, and the potential of, you know, February also impacting class because, you know, in addition to Josh Connerly, which I was talking about the office tackle from Seattle, who's a big, big get for USC's going to officially visit in January. You're probably going to have Jaleel Tucker, a four-star cornerback uh, recruit, and Florence, a four-star cornerback recruit. Both had a Lincoln High School in San Diego. The two Jaleels just got offered from USC. That was Roy Manning, who was down there. It wasn't Dante Williams. It was Roy Manning, who was down on that uh, that visit to the high school. And those guys are both going to hold off, and they're going to uh, sign in February. So, like I said, there's a, there's a few guys in February that can also supplement the class, some good players. And so we'll see if. You know, if there's going to be more of those players or, you know, there's going to be less of those players. Marvin Jones Jr. I've been asked about, when is he going to sign? He was supposed to sign in the early signing period. Uh, But again, you know, I mean, they don't have to. These kids don't have to. In these circumstances, quite frankly, if I was advising uh, a young man who, who, you know, wanted to look at USC or wanted to see what was going to happen at Oregon, wanted to know more about what Mario Cristobal is going to do at Miami, why? Why? If you're not going to be... If you're not going to be an early entrant and you actually I mean, that's a different story, but if you're just going to enroll in June or May or whenever you are going to and you don't actually have to sign and enroll in January, I I don't get the real push here with everything going on. I mean I you know, in addition to the holidays, in addition to finals, in addition to the end of the season, and you know, we got modern day kids who are all playing in a championship state game right now. Like it just seems like such a crunch making such an important decision. You know, this is going to be the most important decision that these young men have made to this point in their lives and a very important decision for their families. And it's just like, what's the rush to get it done and sign now? I mean, it's just the pressure of the recruiting process. I think it, it doesn't help the student athlete and it's sort of put everybody in a bind and hopefully they change it. And like I said before, if they make an early signing day, make it a real early signing day where you're committed to the school and you're signing, Regardless of what happens that season, regardless of what happens with the coaching staff, uh, you've taken your official visits and it's the degree, it's the school, it's the location and whatever coach is there, that's fine. And yeah. that's that's what you do. And, and then, you know, in that respect, you're not going to see anybody getting dropped, quote unquote, from these classes either, because if you're signed, there's, that's a letter of intent. Nobody's going to be dropping you from that class. You're coming in uh, to play for that school regardless. Um, so, and you still have the transfer portal on that waiver that your waiver that you have, if things don't work out.
1: True. A couple more. Mark, uh, said question for Gerard, since the lone common attribute of teams playing in the college football playoff has been dominant, not dominating line play. Do you think that over the previous six years, the 24 seven star analysis has overrated the importance of skill players versus the importance of linemen? Uh, no, I I mean, it's just like there's a number, like there's a star next to the guy, but if you recruit all five-star players or or four or five-star players that are all skill players, it, the, the class rankings don't care what the position is. They don't say, well, you you didn't get enough linemen, so they rank you less. It's just about the, the players and their star power. I mean, that's, it's up to the staffs to spread those out among, you know, If you got a lot lot of high-ranked players that are all-skilled players, you're probably going to suffer on the lines. I think that's something USC has done, but I don't think that has anything to do with the rankings.
0: If you're talking about the team rankings, I kind of took that question as the rankings overall in terms of four-stars and five-stars, and are there enough four-star linemen and five-star linemen as opposed to maybe quarterbacks and receivers, Um, which I don't know in terms of the ratio, a proportion of – you know, are there more five-star quarterbacks than there are five-star offensive guards? I think you could make an argument for interior linemen. I think that that is definitely something that gets a bit overlooked. You don't see a lot of five-star centers, and I don't know why. (laughs) I mean, center is a pretty important position. Uh, and, And I understand if you're looking from a draft model standpoint, obviously in the draft there's not as many guards that go high in the draft as there are offensive tackles, right? Offensive tackle specifically left tackle is considered a more important position. Obviously there's a blind side of your quarterback who is maybe the most important position on the field. So you have importance and that I think is top down comes from the NFL draft and people see what is valued by the NFL. And that sort of trickles down to uh, the high school ranks and the college ranks. But I mean, there could be an argument, I I think, you know, that because there's always, there's always evolution, with that, and I think you know, with centers, there was a run there where where teams were grabbing centers uh, a lot higher in the draft than they had been. Um, running back is a position that, for a lot of years, and, and even I think still to some extent, if you look at the draft, teams kind of hold off on running backs. And uh, you you unless there's a guy that's a franchise guy, that's an Adrian Peterson, Reggie Bush, uh, C.J. Spiller type of guy, um, a lot of teams are willing to try to take those running backs, you know, later in the third and fourth rounds. And so you know, maybe that should be more reflective in, in the rankings. I don't know, uh, to be up front, again, what the what the proportion and ratios are of, you know, how many five star quarterbacks there are, how many five star receivers there are, so on and so forth. You know, I mean, maybe, yeah, there should be more offensive tackles that are rated four stars or five stars um than there are. Maybe there should be some more interior linemen. I they have adjusted the positions and how they are categorized, which I don't know if I'm a complete fan of. Um, they have linebackers and they have edge rushers now. So you used to have inside linebackers, outside linebackers, and you also used to have strong side defensive ends and weak side defensive ends. And things were broken up like that. Now because you have so many hybrid defenses, they've gone to just edge rushers, uh, which I don't have a problem with. That's fine. Um, But the difference between an edge rusher and an outside linebacker and an inside linebacker are still a little different. Yeah. uh certain systems are going to use outside linebackers and certain systems are going to use actual sort of predator slash uh jack types which are like Kakori Foreman who's a defensive end in a tight front that you have as sort of a stand up guy. Drake Jackson same way. Drake Jackson to me totally different player than David Bailey. David Bailey is an outside linebacker, could potentially play inside linebacker as well or mike linebacker. um Depends on the system, which is a 4-3 or 3-4, whereas Drake Jackson is a guy that's, you know, sort of a tweener type guy. Honestly, Drake Jackson is a five technique in my opinion, so I, I mean, that's probably a bad example for me. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't like what USC did with him, uh, but Corey Foreman is more of a guy that I think has always been a little more of a hybrid, that at 265 pounds, not a true linebacker, but a guy that can play at the line of scrimmage on the edge. So that's an edge rusher type guy. So, yeah, and then on the opposite side of the ball, now you just have interior offensive linemen and you have tackles. Which is, again, you're sort of getting away from the center guard type of thing, which I think is, eh, I don't know about that because center and guards are, are different. Some guys are better centers. Um, I know I've heard many times, doesn't have long enough arms to play center. That's been a, a, an evaluation point that's been made by coaches uh, because, you know, when you're snapping the ball and you've got a linebacker that's trying to blitz into the A gap, he's got to reach out with that other arm and get to that guy and get a hand on him. And so, you know, the, the cerebralness that goes in, uh, to playing center, you're you're sort of the quarterback of the offensive line. That's different than playing offensive guard. Uh, offensive guard is probably the easiest by far the position to play on the offensive line. So, yeah, I mean, they, they're kind of combining it all together. I don't know if it, if it's a great thing. They also combine quarterbacks. So you don't really have dual threat quarterbacks and pocket quarterbacks, which I think I know that's difficult nowadays because a lot of guys are mobile. And so it's like, you know, are we really separating them? I would like to see sort of more of an asterisk of sorts with with the real athletes, so because some of those guys you have to know going in they're rated high, but they don't pass the ball very well. And there's a difference between the guy that uh, that is mobile and can do things like maybe a Caleb Williams or a Jackson Dart, and a guy that just literally just chucks the ball downfield, but you know is a is a runner. So I I don't know if there should be some differentiating there.
1: We got one last one. Uh, let's see. We got this one's from Alex in Chicago. He said this a while back, so sorry we didn't get to it before, Alex. But he said, um, did Trevor Moad uh, work with any USC players coaches? Uh, so he's a sports psychologist, and he actually did work with JT Daniels. I don't know if he worked with other players, but unfortunately he passed away. He He was the one that worked with Russell Wilson to create that academy and stuff, but he passed away from cancer in September. Um, but he also wants to know if there's any current psychologists that are working with USC players. And if you remember the name of the book, the psychology book Pete Carroll gave those players. That was called The Inner Game of Tennis. And he's thanks for all you do at Sleepless Nights you endure to Bring us amazing content. Love what you guys do, Alex in Chicago. But do you know I'm not sure of any current um sports psychologists the team's working with or if Lincoln Riley has anyone, but have you heard anything about that, Gerard?
0: No, no. I'm I don't know if USC had that, I I feel like maybe they did have someone there uh, when they brought in a a new sports nutritionist and some of those support staff people um, that are part of sort of the infrastructure of the athletic department in general. Um, But I don't know for sure if they have somebody like that or they outsource somebody that just comes in. Um, No, I I don't know.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, thanks Alex. Sorry. We'll uh, we'll see. I mean, there might be something that, lincoln Riley gets that you know is into and stuff but uh if we hear anything we'll let you know but gerard great stuff Um uh, man we had a long show pretty good eh, hour 20 not too loud not too long for you but it was pretty good
0: no we could definitely go on more and talk about each position and <laughs> you know but we'll do that i mean we do that on the peristyle obviously and we've got uh war room um Friday morning, and, and we're going to have to kind of sort of break down some things uh, from that standpoint. I mean, I know I was up till 4.30, 5 o'clock. In the, no, I was actually up till probably 7 in the morning because I didn't get the war room up until about 7, 7.30, and people were moaning and groaning because it wasn't up yet, and they're used to it being up at least by 5.30. And uh, it was just me biting off more than I could chew as I started to – I had like three different entries, and then they became one entry, and I was just like, you know, I – I just wanted to break down things as they stood, and it just became very long. I mean, it became like a thousand word thing by itself, and then everybody else chipped in, and so it was. It was a, I mean, I think it was like a forty five hundred word, 400, four hundred, forty six hundred word war room um, that we had last week. Um, don't know how long it's going to be this week. Uh, hopefully, Keeley has some stuff, and Chris has some stuff. Sometimes you, sometimes you guys are a little dry on the content with the war room. Hey, right? hey, hey! What's up? I've been, do- <laughs> I've been doing good. Ryan's been doing good. Ryan usually has uh, probably as much verbiage uh, as anybody these days. You know, when we had Dan, Dan would come through and it was, you know, a lot of editorial type stuff, but it was a lot of, it was still a lot of verbiage. It was still something to read and stuff. So we've cut down on, the amount of editorializing, I think in the war room, yeah. but then, you know, when you just have hard news and it's just, you know, Hey, this is information. Sometimes there's just not a lot there in terms of, you know, how much you're writing. It's just, Hey, this is what's happening. So um, try to have uh, a lot of good information uh, in the war room this week and uh, try to uh, again, wrap our, our arms around this, uh, this visit weekend. And um, you know, we're going to go right, from the visit we get into the dead period and it's going to be you know a couple days and boom you're going to be into uh, signing day so there's definitely going to be sort of what's happening on signing day um there's going to be a lot of like who is potentially still in it for usc and um you know questions about you know are, are some of these kids gonna gonna not sign and and, and wait and it's going to be chaos it's going to be hectic on signing day yeah. so uh Next week is um, – and I'm not really looking forward to it. I wish we, we had more clarity, but it is what it is. And so uh, we'll, we'll we'll come away from uh, signing day with uh, some answered questions, maybe not completely everything answered about – well, we know we're not going to get everything answered about the yeah. 2022 class, but I'm hoping we get, you know, like 75% of the way there.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, that's Dora Martinez. Follow him on Twitter at Live. Make sure you go check out the site. He's mentioned the War Room. If you're not a VIP member, you get it for a buck. So just go do that uh, over at uscfootball.com. For Gerard Martinez, I am Ryan Abraham. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Parastyle Podcast. Hope you enjoyed the show, and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business.